Good evening and welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OuterLimitsRadio.com I'm your host, Ryan. So did you like that smooth introduction music? That is my way of communicating to you the idea that we are not doing a show tonight about death or destruction or about anything negative. This is all positive. This is one of the most introspective programs we've done and it is going to focus on the nature of our reality and how we perceive consciousness. Let us begin tonight's program. Joining us now is Mark Gober. He is a partner of the Sherpa Technology Group. He's also author of the new book, An End to Upside Down Thinking. Little bit about Mr. Gober by going to his website at markgober, G-O-B-E-R dot com. Mr. Gober, welcome to the program. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me. Okay. So the idea of your book that consciousness creates all material reality, that biological process does not create consciousness. I find it a very fascinating concept. It's kind of provocative, thought-provoking provocative. Can you please explain these two concepts and what your book is about? Yeah, absolutely. So the reason that my book is called An End to Upside-Down Thinking is that I look at the current paradigm of science, which is known as materialism, and I can explain that in a second, and I argue that that paradigm of science is actually upside-down. So materialism is it basically goes as follows it says that about 13.8 billion years ago this physical universe began through some event which many call a big bang which filled the universe with physical material like matter called matter so like atoms you things you can touch and when you have enough of those physical atoms throughout the universe you're bound to get reactions between those atoms we call those reactions chemistry and when you have enough random chemical reactions throughout the universe you're bound to end up through chance with a self-replicating molecule like DNA. And that's what we have here on Earth. And DNA leads to the evolution of living beings like a human who has a brain. And then out of the brain pops out consciousness. And when I say consciousness, I mean the awareness that we have, the mind that we have. So I'm here talking to you right now. The I that is having this conversation is the consciousness. It's my subjective inner experience. So, in short, materialism, the predominant view in, in science and much of Western thinking, is that the universe is made of physical matter, and then consciousness comes out the other side through a being, a physical body that has a brain. So the brain produces consciousness. What my book does is looks at this assumption of materialism, that matter is what's actually creating consciousness, and argues that consciousness doesn't come from the brain. Um, before I got into this material, I didn't even realize there was a question about where consciousness comes from. But, in fact, Science Magazine has called it the number two question that remains in all of science. And in philosophical circles, it's called the hard problem of consciousness. We have no idea how a brain that's physical could produce a, a consciousness that's not physical. Okay. I have to stop for one second. Cause I, first off, in the history of the Outer Limits of Energy Truth Radio Show, I don't think we've ever had a first question that had that comprehensive answer. So congratulations, Mr. Gober. You have officially put yourself in our history books. That was, that was some complex answer. Now, as far as the origins of conscious goes, did you ever come to – have you come to the realization or conclusion that there is just one singularity, one consciousness – that is being manifested through infinite number of perspectives, whether they be human perspectives, whether they be, um, say, blades of grass, or whether they be other forms of objects that we may not necessarily see as being consciousness. But how does that uh, consciousness flow? Where does it uh, originate from, from your perspective? Yeah, I, I 
tend to lean in that direction after the research I've done. So what I argue is that consciousness doesn't come from the brain at all, and that's why we haven't been able to figure out how a brain can produce it, because it doesn't produce it. But rather, it seems to me that consciousness is the basis of reality existing beyond space and time. As Max Planck said, who's a Nobel Prize winner in physics, an early quantum physicist, he said, I regard consciousness as fundamental and matter is derived from consciousness. What I, what I think makes the most sense based on the evidence is that it's one underlying consciousness that is having some infinite number of expressions in this physical world or otherwise. Uh, but that's what seems to be the case. Okay. Now, let's say, for example, that we're exploring this idea and you and I are all part of the same consciousness yet we are maybe different perspectives of that consciousness. How does one or more perspectives of this consciousness, that would be you and I, manifest physical reality? Why are some perspectives of this consciousness, why are some points of attraction of this consciousness able to manifest physical reality much better or on a much greater pace than other perspectives of this infinite consciousness? It's a great question. Thank you. I don't think that we have we have the science to come up with an answer for that. My own intuition on it, and again, this is my intuition that hasn't been backed by any studies, but it seems as though people who are kind of aligned with this idea of understanding that at their core they're a consciousness that's experiencing a body and a world rather than a body that has a consciousness, kind of aligning with the, that sense of identity perhaps enables an ability to um, mold things through one's own consciousness better. But I think part of the reason I wrote this book is that that question you asked, which is, a, is an amazing question, we don't understand how all this works very well because the science is is not widespread enough because it's so controversial. I don't understand why it would be so controversial. I, I, I can't believe that even people would think this is controversial. There's so much that we don't know and the assumptions that we know certain things. I almost feel that is the what's really causing a lot of halt to our progression as a species. So I, I can't believe that. Uh, I think this is groundbreaking. And I wanted to ask you, you mentioned intuition, which is great, because we've talked a lot about intuition. We did an entire show about it. What is the comparable difference between somebody who has a knowing, I absolutely know this concept, as opposed to somebody who mentally grasp the concept. They learn the concept through a logic process, but they don't necessarily know it. What is the difference between those two, and how does physical reality m manifest quicker or even slower based on these two um, perspectives? So what you described is kind of the, the divide between logic and reasoning and intuition, which some people will call the left brain versus the right brain, where the left brain is logic and the right brain is just a knowing of, oh, I, I have this idea. And throughout history, people have come up with very creative ideas and inventions through this process that you just described, where all of a sudden, through mechanisms that we don't fully understand, all of a sudden, someone has an idea that turns out to be a very good one. And then on the logical side, like in my financial world, we'll do a financial model to evaluate the pros and cons of a particular deal. Um, so I think both are, are very valuable. In terms of how it relates to the manifestation of reality, again, I don't think the science on that is strong enough yet for me to be able to give a scientific answer, uh, but it seems as though following intuitions and understanding what's a, a true intuition versus what's um, more of an ego-driven thought can lead to more effective ways around the world. Okay. Mr. Gober, I find you very fascinating. 
because first off, you were writing this book. I think it's very groundbreaking. And also, prior to this book, I did not know much about you. And this first book that you have comes out, and then I see this testimonial from Dr. Irvin Lazio, two-time Nobel Peace Prize nominee and author of more than 75 books. He's singing your praises. So congratulations. That, that's how you make a debut in the literary world. It's great. So where did this um, where did your curiosity come from? Like, what, what just drove you to get to this point, and how did your your thinking kind of evolve and change? That is a great question. I'm often asked that. So uh, this all started for me about two years ago. My background has ostensibly nothing to do with consciousness or, or these topics. Um, I went to Princeton where I studied and originally economics and then switched to psychology and ended up doing behavioral economics. But I almost studied astrophysics because I had big questions about the universe. But I was on the tennis team, which is Division One program. I was later the captain of the team, so I couldn't do astrophysics. So I put away those existential questions, then went into finance during the financial crisis. I was on Wall Street, and now I work in the business world. So at a younger age, I had big questions. I just had never explored them in this way. And it was about two years ago that I stumbled across podcasts that talked about ideas that some, that some might call paranormal, at least from a materialist perspective, they're paranormal. But I realized that there was all this evidence that I hadn't been exposed to before, whether it came from the Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Lab, which I didn't know about when I was at Princeton, the U.S. government, the University of Virginia Division of Perceptual Studies, all kinds of research which suggested that consciousness, my own awareness, isn't a product of the brain and rather it exists non-locally and independently of the body. That's at least what the research suggested. So it was a totally mind-blowing uh, thing to realize that everything I thought was real before really was not the case. So that led me down a path of pretty extensive research for about a year outside of work where I would go to work during the day, research at night, and it culminated in my writing a book over a few weekends uh, last July, July 2017. I just put all my research on paper, and then I had this book. Um, and the reason I did it was that when I was telling people about the research, people kind of in the business athletic community, they were saying that it was having an effect on their outlook because the materialist perspective is a, can be a bleak one if you think consciousness comes from the brain. Once the brain's off, your consciousness, your memories, they're gone. So that is a pretty bleak uh, way of thinking, but that's what the, the mainstream scientific community says. So when I was starting to challenge that, people told me it had an effect on them, and so I wanted to make the information available to a broader community. I think it's really wonderful that you made the information available. So as far as your, the brain goes, what is the brain? An antenna, a receiver of certain information, like a router that transcribes certain pieces of information that comes in that what corresponds to a person's inner belief systems and presents reality that particular way? Yeah, I think that's a good analogy. So the brain's definitely related to our conscious experience. Another analogy I like is a filtering mechanism, or as uh, Huxley said, a reducing valve. So there's some broader reality, and the brain limits what we see so that um, I'm seeing one version of reality, you're seeing another, and we're kind of having our individualized experiences. Okay. From your perspective, is there a particular reason why certain groups of people will act irrationally despite the fact that there's logical evidence that would show them that their way of thinking is probably irrational. I mean, are there, are there, uh, what I'm leading to, we talk a lot about on our show about cognitive dissonance and why certain people can't understand certain concepts. Like the idea of oneness, that we're all part of one collective being, it, it's, it's a very normal concept to me. And the idea that we exist in the universe with likely that there's tons of other life forms out there is a normal concept to me. But to, to another person, they think it's crazy. And I'm curious, why do certain people 
groups of people think a certain way that others would consider to be illogical and rational. And in your experience, is there any way to have one, uh, how do I don't say, normalcy as far as what is logical, what is truly rational? This is such an important question you're asking, and it's one that I've thought about a lot and I write about. Thank you. How is it that if, if we have all this evidence that seems to be pointing in this direction, why is it not more well-known and why isn't it being talked about in mainstream circles, uh, or at least in many of them? What I've found is that there's a tendency, I think, in certain circles to avoid things that challenge existing theories because that would imply that certain people would have to change what they've been saying for a long time and change their worldview which can be a very disorienting thing. I mean, I can say from personal experience, it was not an easy thing to do to shift how I thought about the world. So there's probably a tendency to resist things for that reason. Um, and I think we're also biased by our perceptions and what our, what our eyes and ears and nose and mouth can sense around us. What you and I are speaking of is something that's not physical. It's not something that we can see. Um, so we're biased by the things that we can readily perceive. Although, you know, in quantum mechanics, we've accepted scientifically the notion of entanglement, which is that things that are physically apart, physically distant, are connected in some way that we can't see. So there is this distance between we've accepted certain science that doesn't uh, conform to common sense, and yet we ignore other things like psychic abilities or the near-death experience, things like that. When it comes to psychic abilities and ESP, we have done at least two or four different shows talking about the significance of brainwave activities and brainwave frequencies. And I really feel that this is another frontier for where people can learn and develop their perception because one of my old teachers used to say, meditate in a theta metronome, slow down your brain, try to get it to a delta. And when you're doing that, your brain is playing a different tune. It's operating on a different speed, and hence your perception is going to change. And when we were doing our show about brainwave frequencies, we found that apparently there's a psychic, there's a scientific reason why people have psychic perception. It is in a, it's on a gamma frequency. And some researchers were pinpointing and saying this is exactly where it is. So in your experience perceiving consciousness, have you ever incorporated or looked into brainwave frequencies as being a means of perceiving more reality, becoming more in touch with consciousness? What's typically described in the research that I've come across is that people who are best at utilizing their psychic abilities or channeling are able to go into a meditative state or almost a trance. And from that, they're almost, they're like tuning into a different station and are able to pick up information that is not picked up in a normal state. I think it's an area that deserves a lot more research, but we know looking at the U.S. government's work on remote viewing, which is the ability to see something with the mind, not even with the eyes, that's far away. What the researchers at the Stanford Research Institute used to do to help the remote viewers perform better was to help them quiet what they call the monkey mind and go into a meditative trance, and then they're able to see things more clairvoyantly. And have you ever had an experience that someone would consider paranormal? Have you ever had an experience where you had a glimpse into the universal mind where you realize at one point in time that all the perception that you had in your mind was not your own, that you were just in one perspective of consciousness. I mean, you could talk about the concept of understanding the concept, but have you experienced the reality? I haven't had what some might call a mystical experience, which is, I think, pretty rare for someone to get into this. For me, it was just the, the abundance of scientific evidence. But I've had some experiences where I've 
worked with different psychics and energy workers because as I was exploring, I said, well, if this is real, then there should be people that are talented that can do things I can't explain. And there have been people that I've talked to that were able to know things about me that they shouldn't have known. So I've had those types of experiences, but I haven't had the kind of ineffable experience of oneness that someone might experience on like the psychedelic DMT or in a near-death experience. Well, ayahuasca is an amazing, amazing experience. I have to tell you, I think it, it takes courage to do it, and if you do it, you're probably going to walk away with with a reality or a shift in reality you probably never had before, but it's truly amazing. But what are some of the things that you have done or that you recommend to others to do to become more aligned to universal consciousness, to not be trapped within the confines and limitations of their mind and believing that their mind produces consciousness, rather to kind of plug into that, you know, stream, that big river of consciousness and, you know, increase their ability to manifest things, manifest wonderful events in their life that they probably wouldn't be able to do so if they held on to their illusions of how the reality currently is. So this is something that I'm constantly working on still because it's just been about two years since I got into this work. But I, I think it has something to do with understanding one's true identity. And I used to think my identity was a random collection of molecules that produced a mind that would have a limited time. And now my perspective is that my identity is a consciousness first and foremost that's experiencing this world through a body. So having that shift in identity of realizing that I'm something different than I thought before, I think that is an important starting point because that aligns with the actual truth of reality. And did you ever have any religious or spiritual beliefs? Have you had religious or spiritual beliefs that have changed or been modified as a direct result of the work that you're doing? Before getting into this work, I, I was not very involved in religious beliefs or anything of that nature or anything spiritual. I was very much a materialist who thought that that there was nothing beyond randomness. So I haven't had to adjust any religious beliefs, but I have had to adjust my overall existential beliefs. Okay. And what do you tend to focus on? Where do you think that if people were to, let's say, go more become more accepting of your work and we had a global acceptance of the work that you're doing, how would that affect everyone? How do you think that that would affect our, our, the way our world works? So I get into this at the end of the, my book where I talk about implications. Um, I think w probably the biggest implication for me is this notion that we're actually connected, which means that there's no me and you. We're actually the same at the most fundamental level of our identity of consciousness. So if that's actually true, if one internalizes that idea, then it becomes irrational to harm another person in any way because you're harming yourself at the core level. So it, it puts a new spin on altruism, and altruism is the desire to help others. Altruism is typically seen in a conventional sense as there's a me helping a you. But in, under this framework we're talking about, where we're all the same, then it's actually selfish. It's the highest form of selfishness selfishness to be altruistic. So I think this has massive implications for how people treat one another in interpersonal relationships and also between nations. Great. It's, it's you know, one of the people we've had on a show, and I, I've talked about in the last couple of shows, but I find his work so fascinating, is Dr. Stephen Greer. 
and really talks a lot about the idea that there are other civilizations out there that that are to, that in the universe that act as one species and that they have interplanetary relationships. So I love the idea that the work that you're doing could eventually lead us here. Can you please talk a little bit about it's called the Laszlo Institute of the New Research Paradigm. I'm going to the site right now. What is some of the work that you do there, and what is the purpose of that organization? I've been fortunate to be connected with Dr. Laszlo through my literary agent, Bill Gladstone, who's also publishing my book at Waterside Productions. And Bill has known Dr. Laszlo for many years and represents him and was nice enough to connect us. And Dr. Laszlo and I have a very, uh, very aligned outlook on how we view life and existence. And it really comes back to this idea where consciousness is in a much more primary role than is typically um, thought about in, in mainstream science. So he has this, this similar perspective of a new paradigm of how we look at things that is very much away from the materialist perspective and more of a consciousness interconnected um, type of reality and the implications that it has for how we, uh, we do business and science and everything else. So I've become involved with Dr. Laszlo's Institute to help um, raise more awareness for these ideas. Okay. And just want to let everyone know, we're about that by going to the website at lazloinstitute.com. In the course of your journey, what have been the best three pieces of advice that somebody has given to you that has allowed you to take the most control of your life, to, to be the most empowered? Hmm. Well, I think there's a general principle that I've probably been advised on throughout my academic career and business career, which is to really question things and not just accept things at face value, look at the evidence on my own, and that has led me down this journey of not accepting an old paradigm and, and opening up to a lot of evidence that even countered my, my worldview. Um, so that's one. Another is that when one kind of goes on this path of switching from a materialist paradigm to this more consciousness-centric one, it results in major shifts in how you look at things and, and how you relate to people. So there can be shifts in, in interpersonal relationships and family relationships. And because if you're thinking about things differently than those around you, that can just lead to um, just a difference in opinions. So that that's something that people have talked about. And a third piece of advice that's been helpful. Um, I, I think that this concept of, like, again, thinking about our own identity as being this consciousness rather than what some call the ego, identifying with the, the personality too much and remembering the broader reality, I think that helps to alleviate a lot of stress when we think about ourselves as part of this bigger picture that isn't as finite or as separate as we're taught it is. You know, I was just thinking about that. There, it seemed that there are certain people – and academics, and I'm sure that anywhere, but maybe that they're, they're so happy with it, the logic and the, the knowledge that they've attained, I guess, on a logical level. Do you find that people who are more academic-minded may be less inclined to be open-minded to the idea of the paranormal or ESP? And if so, do you think that it is because that, you know, if you know certain things, if you're an established academic, it becomes more difficult to discredit you and discredit your theories if the other instance where you are exploring cutting-edge things such as the paranormal and ESP. Do you think that in some way, shape, or form, you know, becoming a pioneer and sticking with academics is a safe haven for individuals? 
Absolutely. This is a dynamic I talk about in my book, and I've spoken with many scientists about this. And on my forthcoming podcast, I interview scientists where we talk about this exact issue. It is so controversial to talk about these topics for some reason at mainstream academic institutions that many people will wait until they get tenure to even talk about that. Oh, my um, goodness. Yeah, and this is very serious. And I've talked to, to many scientists. One, as an example, uh, has a Ph.D. at a very reputable U.S. institution. She studies precognition, which is the ability to know the future before the future happens. Um, I have a chapter on that in my book. She was putting this on her resume that she was studying these things and was advised when people saw it that she should take that off her resume if she wanted to progress in the institution. So we have something right now that is very similar to what happened to Galileo when he was you know, challenging the paradigm that the, the Earth is at the center of the solar system. He had his evidence in his telescope, and there were many clergymen who didn't want to look in the telescope because the evidence would have challenged their worldview. I think we have something similar right now where there's a reluctance to look in the telescope at all this evidence that's accumulating. So that's another reason I wrote this, is to put it all in one place, and it's kind of the general public's peek into the telescope if you want to look. Mr. Mark Gober, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. You can learn more, more about Mark by going to his website at markgober.com. And again, his new book called An End to Upside-Down Thinking. So get your pre-orders in. You have to go out and buy this book. It seems like it's going to be a great read. I really enjoyed our conversation today, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our great guest, Mr. Mark Gober. And special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Lisa Caza, and Ms. Constance Tellis. To learn more about the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. Until the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care and thank you so much for listening. Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick PR is a New York City-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate-based clients. Goldman McCormick PR also are specialists in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com.